1: Welcome back. Friday, March 24th, 2023. We got the whole compliment here. We have Bill, our uh, chief producer. We have David Dahl, our associate producer. Good to see you, gentlemen. NBC reports it exactly this way from this morning. Quote, The House passed GOP-sponsored legislation Friday aimed at providing parents with more information about their children's educations, marking the congressional Republicans' foray into culture war battles taking place across the country over what children are taught in public schools. Continuing to quote from NBC, "...the Parents' Bill of Rights Act would require public school districts to publicly post information about curricula for students, including providing parents with a list of books and reading materials available in school libraries." The congressional action comes as some elected Republicans in states across the country have been intensifying a push to ban some books or pressed for limits on teaching about issues related to racial equality, sexual orientation, and gender identity in schools. Under the measure, schools would be required to offer at least two in-person parent-teacher meetings annually, and school boards would be required to hear feedback from parents about students' education, close quote. Note what is taking place here and how it is written up. Providing parents with more information, NBC's words, is a foray into culture war battles as to what children are taught in public schools. Also NBC's words. Does anyone stop for a moment to ask who the public is in public schools? Are the schools not paid for by the public to educate the public's children? And who, if not the parents, should determine what the children are taught? And who, if not the taxpayer, should determine what is done with their money supporting their laws, laws like compulsory education? Why are there school boards with publicly elected members? Why are property and other taxes raised to fund public schools rather than private sources of funding, as in private schools which do not receive public funds or public input? School boards would be required to hear feedback from parents. Holy smokes, elected representatives are being required to hear from their constituents and those they serve. Who's, what's obviously become clear here is that the precincts run by public officials and teachers unions have been discovered as rogue operations not only dismissive of the public they are supposed to serve but antagonistic and resentful over the fact this has been discovered and that they will no longer get to own the coin of the teaching or education realm. What is obvious is that if books, whose content is highly offensive and age-inappropriate, teaching and instructing in things formerly properly reserved for the private realm, like about sexual activity and sexual identity, if books like that were never introduced or rather discovered, none of this would be an issue. But the teaching professionals give five- and six- and seven-year-olds books on sex and sexual identity and race and racial identity, and it is the Republicans who, per NBC, are entering into the culture foray, entering the foray into culture wars." The deployment of these new modes of teaching is not entering such a foray. The reaction is. It's the Republicans' fault. Shame on the union for responding to the firing upon Fort Sumter. Shame on the United States for reacting to the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Shame on the police for arresting criminals. The lesson here is any new introduction of the avant-garde dressed up as sexual or racial education is to be accepted with no input from the taxpayer or the parent of the child to be instructed in these things. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gave a a Jeremiah on the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday, objecting to this law, saying, quote, Keep the culture wars out of classrooms. When we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive value is, and that is freedom over fascism, close quote. Well, Who put the culture wars in the classroom by thinking the classroom was the place to sexualize and racialize students? And who asked why schools had to, perforce, embrace progressive values? Why did she say, when we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive values— Who brought up progressive values? She did. The National Assessment of Educational Progress, known as the Nation's Report Card, and the various state school assessments, so far as I know— still test and report on outcomes in math and language arts or reading and science and civics. I've yet to see an assessment tool from any of these testing organizations on racial or sexual awareness. This notion that an objection, a reaction, or response to a novel introduction is the waging of a culture war, as Republicans are being accused of waging, is starting the story on Chapter 2, the baseball game at the second inning, the football game in the second quarter. Something had to have happened for Republicans to want more input when they previously had not, right? This is a classic blaming of the victim, or as Lincoln put it in the second inaugural, one side would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish, and the war came. We learned what was going on in the schools, it shocked the conscience, and we got involved. And let it not pass notice— that the idea of less state or government power, per the political philosophy and wisdom of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is fascism, just as evidently it is the role of schools to teach or indoctrinate socialism. In 1925, a unanimous Supreme Court, unanimous, 9-zip, including progressive justices like Louis Brandeis and Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., they wrote the following, quote, "...the fundamental theory of liberty upon which all governments in this union repose excludes any any general power of the state to standardize its children by forcing them to accept instruction from public teachers alone. The child is not the mere creature of the state." Those who nurture him and direct his destiny have the right, coupled with the high duty, to recognize and prepare him for additional obligations, Close quote. The progressives, the original progressives, Brandeis, Holmes, and seven of their colleagues, some conservative like Taft and McReynolds, all agreed. The student is not the property of the state when it comes to education. It would be the parents. The parents are. The child is not the creature of the state. We do not have Cuba here yet. We do not have a recrudescent Soviet Union here yet. The father of the child in America is still every Tom, Dick, and Harry who is the father of the child. It is not the state or Fidel. The mother of the child in America is still every Jill, Sue, and Mary who is the mother of the child. It is not the state or Alexandria. I get that a socialist, as Ocasio-Cortez claims to be, would think the state should have more power over a child than the parent. I get that a socialist would think that there should be indoctrination of the youth in order to build a progressive population, just as there were communist and Maoist and Hitler youth. I just don't get how the media can go along with all this, unless, of course, they are on board with it a conclusion increasingly difficult to avoid. One of the greatest scholars on how tyrannies arise was Hannah Arendt, and she once put it this way, "'To force parents to send their children to a school with beliefs against their will means to deprive them of rights which clearly belong to them in all free societies, the private right over their children and the social right to free association.'" Close quote. And I suppose that point begs the question of what the purpose of education is. To most parents, it's to teach their children well. To the Marxists and educators who view themselves as revolutionaries, it's to upend everything in society. In fact, it may be the most antisocial movement in the country because it is designed to change society with children as the early recruits and infantry. But if you're of the view of most parents, you want your child proficient, if not advanced in certain things, math, literacy, history, geography, and the like, including music and art, or at least an appreciation for them. And to accomplish that, of course, requires great teachers dedicated to those instructions. That would seem an obvious point, but it is not. As though what works in education research has found, common sense tells us, and education research confirms that Youngsters rarely learn what they do not study. Since students study what adults teach, it is important for adults to define essential knowledge and resolve to teach it well. Now stop. If adults teach something other than math, literacy, geography, history, and the like, students will learn that. They'll learn those things. You may at this point want to ask yourself why it is that 44% of our fourth graders are illiterate but well-versed, proficient, one might even say, in sexual and racial themes. You may want to ask yourself why 50% of American 12th graders are functionally illiterate, get an F in American history, but are proficient in knowing how to talk about what they think is American fascism and evil. Now, I think two other things are important to mention here, and I haven't heard mentioned much elsewhere. Up until about three years ago when teacher retention rates and the teaching profession was rallying across the country for better remuneration, the chief complaint was how much frustration teachers had with their extra workloads. What extra workloads? Again and again, callers, teachers who called in to shows like this or across the country were being asked or said they were being asked to do the work of parents. That was the extra Workload parents sending their kids to school without having done the real homework of life, teaching their kids manners, discipline, respect for elders, proper clothing, the importance of school, and the like. Discipline. Teachers would often say things like, we have double duty now, the work we're supposed to do and the work parents expect or rely on us to do, or alternatively, the work parents won't do. From those complaints of many years standing, it seems too many education professionals and the AOCs of the world whiplashed to in loco parentis. We will be the parents. We should be the parents, or at least the real parents should not be involved. We will take it on. We will not consider this double duty. We'll consider this primary duty. What was a complaint only three years ago and a longstanding complaint going back about 30 years or so, i.e. having to do the work of the home, has been the demanded wish, the desire, the new mandate. I think this is so because when ideology and the use of education for revolutionary outcomes is the desire, no amount of work is too much. Workers of the world unite is not an empty cry, and the common ownership of the means of production is the public school, where parents with their own ideas are being told they are no longer welcome. You see this even in school decisions now to conceal from parents the desiderata of young kids who wish to transition or even change their clothes or pronouns or names during school hours. What the neo-Marxist movement brought to education was the notion that there is no such thing as a neutral education or educational process. And from becoming maximally in loco parentis in the place of parents, it's a pretty short stone's throw to parents' patriae where the state just simply becomes the parent, as in Cuba, as in the old USSR, as in China, just as in, no one, just as in nowhere anyone tries to move to, but millions have tried to and still try to escape from, just as in governments whose constitutions declare themselves the same thing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez declares herself socialist. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 We'll be right back. With so many cracks showing up in the banking system and over $31 trillion in U.S. debt, you can't just say, well, we can always print more money. That's what they uh, did in Venezuela. It's what they did in Zimbabwe, Argentina. And they all saw defaults. Gold has never defaulted. Veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, they'll reinforce your portfolio. Call them to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold while you still can. They're the only precious metals dealer I and Seb Gorka and thousands of you use. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail. Think of it. Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, now Credit Suisse. Midas Gold Group believes we are in the midst of the early stages of a growing crisis, and the Fed's higher interest rates are your cue to create your own bank with real money, gold. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com, MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000. Midas gold, Group. gold you can hold, your vault of confidence. Well, um, nothing about this story is comforting. Uh, Reading from CBS News, new attack against U.S. base in Syria after alleged Iranian drone kills American contractor drawing airstrikes. A new missile strike targeted a U.S. base in northeast Syria Friday, a day after a U.S. contractor was killed and five U.S. service members and another U.S. contractor wounded when a suspected Iranian drone hit a coalition base in the same region. U.S. officials confirmed the new attack New attack, targeting an American base southeast of the Syrian province of Deir al-Zur on Friday, saying there were lots of rockets fired. Reports surfaced earlier that the Friday missile salvo had targeted a U.S. base near the Al-Omar oil field in Syria. The Here's the painful part. Well, there's a lot of painful parts. Here's the, follow, here's the follow-up painful part to the original insult and assault. The attack came just out hours after U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said in a statement that U.S. Central Command Forces had retaliated for Thursday's deadly drone attack with, quote-unquote, precision airstrikes against facilities in eastern Syria used by groups affiliated with Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps. Well, they obviously weren't precision airstrikes if there was a new salvo of missiles fired today. Obviously, the wasn't a precision air strike or at least not precise enough or not at least not striking or strikeful enough but that's only the follow-on insult why why did this happen in the first place yesterday well for the new to that you go for that you go to the new york times Opening sentence: The main air defense system at a coalition military base in northeast Syria was in northeast Syria was not fully operational when a suspected Iranian drone hit the installation, killing a US contractor. Not fully operational. Next paragraph: It was unclear why the system was not fully functional and what difference that made in defending the base from the attack on Thursday. I want to talk a little bit about what happens when we have not mission creep but mission drift when this has been a theme of mine for some time and it now applies to the defense department as much if not more so than any other area of government unfortunately it's the it's the, it's it's the it's the mission drift when you stop paying attention to what you're constitutionally supposed to do when you stop making an effort on what your constitutional mandate is, whether it's small C or large C constitutional, and you start getting involved in every other thing, nowhere to be found in your small C or large C constitution. So our federal government is involved in, I don't know, everything from water temperature to gas stoves to now education but it can't solidify the border, a constitutional mandate. It can't solidify our sovereignty. And the Defense Department, the Defense Department, it's involved in all this DEI training, and and, and, and and we can't have force protection at a base in Syria because we're not fully operational, and our Defense Department lies to us about precision strikes only for hours later to be more strikes from the enemy. Now, the other interesting angle to this is just what the hell is our Iranian and Syrian policy? What are the Iranians doing as this administration is trying to coax them to take a deal in cash from us? What are they doing? Well, they're aligning with our erstwhile ally, Saudi Arabia, who's disaligning from us, and they're bombing American and coalition targets in Syria. Give you comfort? That this is what's going on? Where's your president? What's he said? Oh, he's in Canada. I'll leave it at that. Well, welcome back to your Open Lines Friday. Six zero Open Lines Friday, not Open Line Fridays, right? We do this right. It's Open Lines Friday because we have lines, but it's only one Friday. People say it wrongly, don't they? they open, yeah, harump Thank you. I got a out of you. Second placing saddles reference this week, if I'm not mistaken. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Six zero two five zero eight. 0-9-6-0-6-0-2-50-80-9-60. This is our segment from uh, the producers. What did you learn this week? We'll start with William,
0: chief producer. All right. Well first let me let me circle back. Two blazing saddles references in one week. You know what we call that? A good start. <laughs> Nicely
1: done. <laughs> but how about the What the, did you learn this week? Well, I learned about
2: the push for lower water pressure in washing machines. Oh really? And it,
1: That's not going to be good for anybody.
2: No, it it shouldn't be. It's um, it's going to create a a
1: new look, filth chic is coming in. <laughs> filth chic. <laughs> That's well done, filth chic. This really. So they 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 gave up on the gas ovens. They're now going to adjust the water in our wash. This is was what. Well, they we, can multitask. I, may, the I, I'm worried that this they don't stop here. But this was the old definition William Buckley used to use of the definition of a liberal. I think it's in his book Up from Liberalism, 1959. I think it is that a liberalist, someone who wants to reach into your shower to control the temperature they're going to do this aren't they okay. it's like make orwell fiction again make buckley's past writings
0: fiction again yeah
1: make buckley's predictions wrong again yeah, yeah. <laughs> come up with an acronym m b p w now nah, it doesn't Rolls right off the <laughs> yeah it trips right off the tongue. <laughs> david Dahl, <gasps> what did you learn this week sir
2: uh, I have two and okay. the first one is we are living in the middle of a palindrome right now. Are if we? If you look at the calendar yeah. today's date is 32423 yeah. two, two, and it's been that way and it will be that way for all of the 20s of March. No kidding. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's that's good. We're we're living in a palindrome
2: a uh, a date palindrome a numerical palindrome i was, dri- palindrome, I
1: was yes. driving uh with my friend in his uh, broken down he had a he had an old broken down beamer that only really worked in reverse one day <laughs> and we were trying to drive out of out of the out of the driveway on uh, Claremont Boulevard or whatever and our literature professor was walking by <laughs> looking at us and my friend who was more clever than i was said we're just kind of efforting the palindromic effect here (laughs) anyway all right good what what else what else the
2: second one that i have discovered over the past uh week or so is that americans love five four time quintuple time in music why some of the most iconic music themes yeah are in 5-4 time. No, nope. I have no idea why, but it appeals to our Give us an example. Uh, Dave Brubeck's Take 5, the entire song is in 5-4 time. The Mission Impossible theme.
1: Done. dun, dun um, yeah. Uh,
2: somebody, Gustav Holst's The Planets, the first uh, introduction to Cream's White Room. Interesting. For whatever reason, these iconic music pieces have 5-4 right. time in
1: them. All right. You need to go out or come back if you don't have enough time with Jimmy Buffett's Living and Dying in Three-Quarter Time.
2: All right, all right.
1: Just to neutralize that problem there. I don't know how – I mean, yeah, all right. Fair enough. Good work. Uh, You know what I learned this week? I'll tell you what I learned this week, And, and I made mention of it earlier. I learned that I have learned more in the last five years than in my first 50 years. That's impressive. Well, I, I I just think I have. I just I I, I think I've been, I, you know, I, not necessarily that I've been exposed more, but maybe that it took me fifty years to appreciate and put everything together, particularly about the human condition. I have a lot to say about that. A lot to say about the human condition, and with regard to how children are brought up and raised and sent into the world, they're supposed to act in, and the stories were told, the Platonic. Stories that were told to 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 coach us into the into the world and realm, and then it turns out it doesn't work. You know why it doesn't work? It doesn't work because not everyone is taught the same stories, or at least not everyone appreciates them or takes them seriously. So you may be going into the world with good virtues. Maybe you were brought up with the Book of Virtues, maybe the Bible, something else, some other great children's literature that complements all of that and teaches you about how to behave and how to comport yourself and, you know, what the verities and values of humanity are. But you're operating in a world where you're operating on that moral plane or on that that plane, general, P-L-A-N-E, in a world of people who aren't, in a world of people who aren't. And so what is the modern ethic in education? To further discombobulate us. Not to give us more unity. To further disunify us and confuse us. Boys, girls, race, all this stuff. A lot of fuddling going A on. A lot here. of fuddling going on. You take that from what book, Bill? Uh-oh, it's Lewis. It is Lewis. It's the screw tape Letters. Oh, of course, Screw tape Letters. Where, uh, where, uh... Where old Screwtape tells Wormwood, wormwood. yeah, Yeah. he said your chief, do you know this, Yes, your chief mission is to befuddle them. No, to fuddle. Fuddle them. To fuddle them. Your chief mission is to fuddle them. Be sure to fuddle them. It's a good word, fuddle. Okay, gentlemen, gracias. We'll be right back. that's nice that's the Jimmy Buffett nautical wheelers let it go a moment that's uh, yeah that's because everyone here is more than content living and dying in three quarter time yeah that's it yeah let's add that in in an out for the bumper shall we that's great that's great wonderful that's living and dying in three quarter time okay that uh, that concludes our musical cultural uh, part of the show today. So let me go back to this point about deviation from the Constitution, large C, small C, and the problem that comes when you deviate from it is you lose your mission. You lose the ability to do what you're supposed to do. This is, for example, rife and problematic at the Department of Defense, which is seemingly as engaged now as anyone else in this project of diversity and equity and inclusion and manuals on how to maintain transgender bunks and the whole rest of it. It's really quite upsetting. And really, I mean, look, here's the story that came out this week. I don't know how many of you saw it. Self-described woke Defense Department schools official, Kalisa Wing, whose anti-white social media comments garnered national attention last fall, has been reassigned to an unrelated role, the New York Post has learned. Why, Why are they even keeping... Awoke woke Defense Department schools official who's writing anti-white messages and tweets. The Defense Department in October launched a 30-day review. 30 days it took the Defense Department of Wing, the now former Education Activity Chief of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Pentagon. Does it make you happy to know we have that at the Pentagon? We have an Equity Activity Chief of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. After her Twitter posts with dis- disparaging comments about white people resurfaced, here's what she wrote. In one post, I'm so exhausted, all these white folks, F-O-L-X, in these development sessions, this lady actually had the Caudacity, C-A-U-D-A-C-I-T-Y, the Caudacity to say black people can be racist too. Now, Caudacity, I didn't know what it was, but I had to look it up. Uh, At yesterday's hearing on this, um, they had never looked it up. They were asked about what caudacity means. Uh, who was it? It was uh, Matt Gates was asking. Uh, Matt Gates was asking Gil Cisneros, the Under Secretary of Defense for Personnel Readiness, who was supposedly in charge of looking into that 30-day review of Kalisa Wing's divisive tweets about white people. And Matt Gates said, "And what did you learn that caudacity means?" And Cisneros said, "I have no idea." And Gates says you took six months to investigate one tweet. You didn't even figure out what the words meant. Cisneros claims he wasn't responsible for learning what the words meant. I have no idea. We do not support racist tweets. We don't support racism. I don't know what caudacity means. Well, I'll tell you what caudacity means. It means audacity from white people, Caucasian. It's a portmanteau of Caucasian and audacity or audaciousness. That's what it is. And we have someone who wasn't fired. No, you can't fire this person. She was reassigned. She was reassigned. That's what the Pentagon's up to. Meantime, it can't be on a footing of the ability to take down a drone that kills an American contractor in Syria after it targets an American and allied military base. You know, this isn't exactly... What was it? What was what was the failed operation Jimmy Carter did to rescue the hostages? Eagle something, something Eagle. What was the Carter thing? It doesn't matter. This isn't exactly that Eagle crew. Maybe this wasn't exactly that. But, you know, with enough bumbling and fumbling around by this administration, we might have five or six of those. We've already had it with the exit from Afghanistan and if you want to understand the morass that we're entering with not we as the united states but the world entering with russia and ukraine it's because of that it's because the ukraine the, the war in ukraine is about afghanistan and if we don't get it right there will be a war in taiwan over ukraine because of the united states's inability to conduct a modicum of serious foreign policy objectives If we're going to exit from Afghanistan, fine, let's not do it on an artificial timetable that we're unprepared for, that leaves the enemy in place, excuse me, leaves the conditions on the ground for the enemy to take over the place, along with all our arms and allies being targeted. Funny, it's the only thing the administration says they were replicating from the Trump administration, which had the wherewithal and knowledge not to engage that plan. Not to, not to do that. They didn't do it. It was a plan on paper. This administration did it and blames the previous administration for it, as it blames everything. The previous administration is blamed for things this administration didn't do that is opposed to it and did do that was on paper from it. It's a hell of a thing. And for those who want to you know, discuss and debate, what our proper role should be in Ukraine now, I'm happy to have the discussion. It's roiling and raging, and a good one I suppose to have. I wish we didn't have to have it, though, because it's another unnecessary war. And what makes it so damn complicated is that it was all, like every unnecessary war, preventable. And it would have been preventable by an administration and a president that didn't give Putin all the signals that he should do this in the first place. That we would be feckless with allies like Afghanistan or that we would say such things as it will depend on the nature of the incursion, a small incursion versus a larger one. It's unseriousness. It's sloppiness. It's the lack of leadership. And yeah, there are still three powers in the world, Russia, China and the United States. We're helping to build the other two to become more powerful as we disarm ourselves through leadership, through rhetoric, and through our military ability. Yes, I do think when you see the recruitment videos that are put out by this Defense Department that are all about the psychological and emotional support that new recruits have in this Pentagon, in this Department of Defense, yes, I do think China and Russia laugh at us. Yes, I do think we are not a serious country. Yes, I do think they think we're not a serious country. Give me the evidence that we are. Show them the evidence that we are. We kowtow to them at every point and blunder our way through things that should not even be in the kindergarten room. Like this person. This person, this title, this incredible title. It's just incredible. To me, there's a title like this. It's a title <laughs> Education Chief of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Pentagon. We have that. We have that now. Education Activity Chief of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Please. Stock market volatility, banks failing, possible recession on the horizon. It's not a very good uh, track record with this administration and the economy, but what if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high interest rate. Interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, there are no fees. Talk to my friends at Y ReFi. They're local. You can visit with them. I know them well. They're honest, trustworthy. You won't get a sales pitch. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Okay, this is interesting. Two former White House officials said President Biden is frustrated with Vice President Kamala Harris's performance. Even if he remains committed to keeping her as his running mate in the 2024 election, a new report reveals, this is in the New York Post, the 80-year-old Biden who has gone out of his way to praise Harris in recent public remarks reportedly has griped about his number two's reluctance to take on risky assignments. One former White House official told Reuters, Reuters, Quote, a point of tension in their relationship is that I don't think that the president sees her as somebody who takes anything off his plate due to a fear of messing up. Another former official told Reuters that Biden already the oldest ever president intends to seek a second term in part because he can, he's concerned that Harris may not be able to beat former President Donald Trump, who is seeking the nomination. If he did not think she was capable, he would not have picked her. But it is a question of consistently rising to the occasion, that former official said. I think his running for reelection is less about her and more about him, said another. This is a problem for Joe Biden, but it's a problem of his own making. Again, checking the boxes. Like the federal judicial nominee this week who couldn't tell you what a Brady motion was. Confused it with the Brady gun control group. That's nothing to do with one another. One is a case, a landmark case from the 1960s, and one is something that came out of James Brady's wife, right? That's who the Brady campaign is about, isn't it? James Brady, Reagan's former press secretary. This is what happens when you pick for everything but competence, and this is why we can't have nice things. I'm Seth Liebsen, We'll be right back.